I'm thankful for the practice of preaching through the Psalms because it causes us to go to a Psalm that I wouldn't naturally pick. A Psalm that is mixed with verses that, oh, that's easy to enjoy or apply, and some you scratch your head and say, what do I do with that verse? And just like there are certain exercises that we might do in a gym, or if you're in a different phase of life in physical therapy, that you would say, I'm going to do these exercises, but boy, they leave my body sore and uncomfortable because I'm not used to this activity. So it is with certain songs and spiritual exercise. Imagine singing, singing the following hymn written centuries ago for the Psalter for the Reformed Church. These are the words. O God, we have heard and our fathers have told what wonders thou didst in the great days of old. The nations were crushed and expelled by thy hand, cast out that thy people might dwell in the land. It's okay. Sounds pretty good. I could sing that. Let's go to verse four of this hymn. No trust will I place in my strength to defend, nor yet on my sword as a safeguard depend in thee who has saved us and put them to shame. We boast all the day, ever praising thy name. Beautiful. We're still comfortable with that hymn. Old language, but we're comfortable. Now, the shift. Imagine singing this. Jay's leading us in this hymn. Thou, Lord, hast forsaken, to shame brought our boasts. No more to the field dost thou go with our hosts. Thou turnest us back from the foe in dismay, and spoilers who hate us have made us their prey. Like sheep to the slaughter thy people are given, dispersed through the nations, afar we are driven. Thou sellest thy people to strangers for naught, their price is thy treasure, no increase is brought. Yea, all the day long I behold my disgrace, and covered am I with confusion of face, the voice of blasphemers and scoffers I hear, the foe and avenger against me appear. All this we have suffered and never forgot to serve thee, Jehovah, nor falsely have wrought. Our heart is not turned and our steps have not strayed, though crushed amidst ruins and we're under Darth's death's shade. This is Psalm 44. It's written to the choir master. It was meant to be sung. It's a worship song. It's called A Maskal of the Sons of Korah. I'm not sure exactly what that means. It could be for instructions. The sons of Korah, we think, were worship leaders. Psalms 44 is a song for a godly people experiencing calamity or national disaster, maybe military defeat, that led to great loss, enslavement, and public humiliation. And it was done with God's name at stake. We really don't know when this psalm was written, like what occasion in the Old Testament did this psalm pop up for God's people? We're not exactly sure. 
I, I label this psalm a worship song for national disaster or calamity. We may experience national disaster in our lifetime. It felt like that in 9-11, September 11, 2001, Maybe it felt like that a little bit, not quite as much, but it was definitely shaking our lives in 2020, just a few years ago with the COVID-19 pandemic, at least at first, not knowing what was happening. And I, I stand here this morning saying it could come in our lifetime, something much bigger or more devastating than those lesser calamities. We are a nation that once considered it Christian and under God. I realize there's a debate on that. And we are not, as a nation, God's covenant people like the Israelites were in the Old Testament with a king set up for God's royal rule for the nation of Israel, but Jesus is the king and he has commanded all the nations to worship him, including the United States of America, including all of us, and though we're not God's covenant people, this church is, and we're a people put together as a nation, and it is God who all the nations, Cameroon, the United States, Russia, it says in Acts 17, from one man, every nation of mankind he made to live all over the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. And Psalm 44 was given for the instructions of God's people, that's us, for times like this. It was given to teach us, to instruct us in the ways of God so that we would know what God sometimes does and how God would want us to respond and how would he want us to think in such times. I want to walk through this psalm and read it to you explaining what's happening from verses 1 through 26 and then I'm going to give you very briefly 10 God-given I'm going to call them strategies, ways of thinking to keep in mind, guard your heart, prepare yourself. In fact, 10 is a lot, and so I, I put them on your bulletin. They're in your sheet that you should have got when you came in. There, there are 10 there for you to, I hope, put in your Bible, maybe paste in your, your app on your phone for notes to keep and remind yourself of these truths and grow in these truths. Let's walk through the psalm. I, I call it a psalm um, that gives us God-given strategies Dealing with calamity and national disaster. You know what calamity is? It's, it's an event causing great and often sudden damage or distress or disaster. You know, synonyms for that would be disaster, catastrophe, misadventure, misfortune, mishap, ruin, tragedy. And it's wisdom and faithfulness to live in joyful hope in God's care for us while being prepared for the trials that we may face, whether that be for the church, whether that be trials for the nation, or for our individual lives and family. Let's look at this psalm. Verses 1 through 3, we see our fathers told us. Verse 1, O oh God, 
We have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations. Think about when they came into the promised land with Joshua. Read Joshua 1 through the the book of Joshua. But them you planted. You afflicted the peoples of the the land. But them you set free, your people, from from Egypt. Verse 3. For not by their own sword did they win the land. Nor did their own arm save them. But God, your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. These first three verses, can you feel the faith? It's filled with faith. Oh God, you saved our ancestors. We heard about it. We learned this and we know it was all you and you alone. Now we move to verses four through eight. Next section. You are my king, oh God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow, that's a weapon, not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to you, to your name forever, Selah. You see what's, do you you feel the tone of these verses? It it keeps on. Through these verses we hear confidence and trust. And and really, if you just stop there, you go, that's an encouraging psalm. There's, things must be going pretty good. They're really up. And we don't have a hint that this psalm is written in the midst of national calamity and disaster has come upon them. Here's the shift, verse 9. But, but, verse 9, but you have, but you have rejected us, disgraced us. And have not gone with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. And have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people. For a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors. The derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long... My disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Verses 1 through 8, everything. God, we learned about your faithfulness in the past. We put our trust in you. We We don't trust in our sword, but in trust in the Lord our God. His face shines on us, but 9 through 16 tragedy and disaster 
We've been rejected and disgraced. Many of our people have been brought off to slavery and make it worse. We are in shame and they mock and taunt us. They have songs written that says things about us that we could never imagine. And do you notice he doesn't say God's arms were tied. God is sitting there going, I can't help it. It says you have rejected us. You have made us a sheep to be slaughtered. You sold us for a trifle. You made us the taunt of our neighbors. You have made us a byword among the nations. It is God who did this. Now we move to the next section, verses 17 through 22. Now, when I was reading this for the first time on Monday, I didn't get to, I mean, I've been focusing on Psalm 42 and 43, and this Monday morning, I'm getting up, and I'm printing this out, I'm going to read it with my family, and early on in the morning, I'm reading through this and reading through it, and one of my practices is just to start reading it over and over again, start to see the themes that are coming out, and as I read from 1 to 16, I thought, when I got to 16, I go, I know why. The reason why all these bad things are happening to the people of Israel is because they turned away from God. Deuteronomy says that if you turn away from me, I will reject you. And I will make you a byword among the nations and a laughing stock. And people will look at you and say, gross, what is that? It must be because they turned away from God. That's what I thought. But but look at verse 17. And this is the ordained, inspired Word of God, and I, I don't think we can imagine that he's getting this wrong. Verse 17, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false, or we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. He's saying, we didn't cheat on you, God. We were faithful to you. Verse 19, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals. You've covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of God... He he basically makes an oath. If, If I had forgotten the name of God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, went to worship a foreign of God, wouldn't God discover this? He knows the secrets of our heart. He knows whether I'm lying or not, and he knows I'm not lying. We've been faithful to God. So I don't know what time period in the history of Israel this is, because they weren't faithful to God very much. But in this case, calamity happens when they were walking with God. Disaster strikes when they were at a high point of their allegiance to the Lord their God. What do you do with that? Verse 22. Yet for your sake, he's talking to God, we're killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now we move to the last section, and it's quite, it makes a final turn. It's bold, it's pleading, 
It's almost accusing God. It's saying some things that you're like, can I talk that way to God about? Is that honoring? Listen to how the psalmist, remember this is written for worship of the congregation. Verse 23, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Can we do that? Jay gets up and says, let's all make prayers. And one of you cries out, awake, O Lord. Why are you asleep? You say, he's not asleep. He never sleeps. Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why, are you hiding your, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? So he goes, it's God. It's as though you're sleeping. It's as though you have have hidden, and it's though you forgot. And he says, just look at me, God. Verse 25, for our soul is bowed to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Verse 26 ends, rise up. Oh, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, I want to explain this song, this worship song for calamity and national disaster by giving you 10 points of, of, I think, spiritual truths that you can derive from, infer from this, that I think arm us. I call them God-given strategies. I think they are the kinds of things that we need to remind ourselves. We need to tell ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves. We need to let build up our personality and our faith so that when we face these things, we have been armed by this book and this truth as God equips us. So paste them in your notes app or on your phone or tablet or computer or in your Bible. Here are God-given strategies for personal calamity and national disaster. I'm going to go through quick because there's 10 of them. We can't belabor each of them. I encourage you to take one or two of them, especially this week, and meditate on these truths. One or two might really impact you more profoundly than the other. Here, but I, I get them almost chronologically as we walk through these 26 verses. Here, here's number one. We should learn diligently from the generations before you of the mighty works of God. Notice how this psalm starts, verse one. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. He knows the calamity has already hit, but he decides I'm going to write it by saying, I have learned... From our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you have performed in your days of old. In the days you drove out the nations. What is he doing? He's remembering, I remember that my mom and my dad taught me. Because their mom and their dad taught them. And their mom and their dad taught them. Our fathers taught them how God walked through the wilderness, brought his people faithfully through the wilderness. And I will remember that. And I think what we should take from here is it is God's plan for you and me to diligently learn from this word that our fathers were taught to us. God, the fathers of the Old Testament are our fathers spiritually. And we should, we should just go at this book so deeply and say, oh, teach me what has happened about you because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I will so trust you. And we should, in this room, be the type of fathers and mothers who will faithfully carry on the truths of God to our children and to our 
people, to our kids and to our grandchildren of the wonderful works of the Lord. Psalm 78 declares this, that we should teach the truths to our children in such a way the glorious deeds of the Lord and the might and the wonders that he has done. God has established a testimony in Egypt, in Israel, so that we would hope in God. Oh, that faith church, we would do that. Let's learn. Let's teach each other. Let's have Ebenezer services after Ebenezer services and Sunday worship services where we remind each other in our life groups and in the morning services of what God has done for us. That's number one. Number two, Number two, know that God's favor upon a person or a nation is what ultimately matters. This psalm rings with that. I don't know how you can come away with going, God's absolutely in control of everything. If the, the, the reason why God's people are being captive and defeated by the enemy, because of God. And the reason, I mean, we, if you were to go to the, I think it's verse 3, it says, you, the light of your face was upon us. And if it's on us, we have victory. Your favor, your care is for everything. That's what ultimately matters. We need to remember that. We need to guard ourselves in this nation of America that has rebelled and rebels all of the time, including far too often the church. We need to remember that what ultimately matters is always God's favor, the light of his face shining upon us. Blessed be the Lord God, who, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom be wisdom and power. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel 2. Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will. He is to be praised and honored who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And it is true about our elections that will come this November. And all of the primaries that, and all of the craziness that will happen in the courtrooms that we see reported in the news, God is on the throne and what matters is God's favor. It is true and at work And in your politics, in our politics, it is true in the church, it's true in our economy, God reigns, and we need to remember that God's favor upon a person or a nation is what ultimately matters. And so we orientate ourselves to God. Oh God, ordain salvation for us, please, verse 4. Number three, we must... As we face, and we don't know what we will face in the days to come, always trust in God's hand over any other hand, no matter the circumstances. Look at verse 6. The psalmist says, "Not For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. He is not saying, I believe, so throw your bow down, throw your sword down. No, God always worked through his armies using their bow, usually, using their sword, usually. But it was God that gave the victory. And so he tells us to do what he tells us to do. But his point is, my trust isn't my bow. My trust isn't my sword. Verse 3, they learned that from their fathers. 
For not by their swords, their father's sword, did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, God, your mighty right hand. I've learned to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not onto my own understanding or on my own arm, but in all my ways I acknowledge him and he will direct my paths. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Friends, we, in times like these, and as we look ahead in life, wondering what will happen, we'll make decisions. We will save money, but we don't trust in money. We have safety teams but we don't trust in safety teams. We get insurance and we make plans and we prepare for difficulties and we go to doctors and we take preventative medicine and we take, medicine, we take medicine and we have procedures and surgeries and chemotherapy, but our trust is not in those things, but it is in the Lord our God. Our trust is not in our elections or in our president or in our policy, though we might strive to be very active this year in our politics, and maybe we should, and I would say we should for the glory of God, but we do not put our trust in Donald Trump, not a godly man, but we trust in the Lord our God. We do not put our trust in any politician or governor or legislation, though we strive for godly legislation, never ever focusing on that as our trust. It's God's favor, God's way. Number four, give thanks and continually boast in the Lord our God. Notice the context of verse eight. Right after is verse nine where all the calamity is here. He knew that was happening when he says, verse 8, this psalmist is saying, give thanks, look at verse 8, in God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever, even when we are dragged off into prison, even when we are a byword and a mockery among the nations, even when we are like sheep set off to be slaughtered. We will boast in the Lord our God continually. He is our God and we will not turn away from him. There is a commitment. In all th- give, th- give thanks in all circumstances, Paul says to the church. A church that was going to face persecution. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. A, a beautiful ending of the prophetic book of Habakkuk says, though, listen to this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be fruit fruit on the vines. Though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, that could happen in our economy, that could happen in our country, that could happen in your home, or your life, or with your health. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength, not those things. God is my strength. Now, how can you talk that way unless God is something so real, so special, and he changes everything internally? So give thanks, continually boast in the Lord. Number five, honestly lament you're suffering to God, the God who hears, cares, and is in control. Number five is one that you might need to circle and keep going back to, friends. 
It might happen when you're going through a very distressful time at your work, with your home, with parenting, with your marriage, your finances, with this government, and in church. Honestly, lament your suffering to the Lord. What, does that, what do I mean by lament? One-third of the Psalms are laments. They're a complaint to, God, complaint to God for what is happening. Not a complaining about God. Yeah, God is so this way and grumbling against him. It is coming to God on your knees saying, oh God, this has happened and it's bad. This is overwhelming and it's bad. God, this is so hurtful. God, I'm overwhelmed. And as I said last week, it, it asks the questions, why God are you doing this? And how long are you doing this? When are you going to make it stop? Verses 9 through 16 are a lament and I think is a model. There are times when we'll go through a place where we'll get on our knees and we'll just cry out and we'll say, God, this is bad and it hurts. And God, I'm scared of this. And God, I'm overwhelmed and hurt by this. And he did this once again in my life. And she keeps doing this. And it happens over and over again. And nobody's listening. And it feels like, God, you don't even care. That's how it feels, God. But see, he's calling out and lamenting to God, to a God that the whole tone of verses 1 through 26, all this hymn is, God, you do hear, even though it doesn't always feel like that. You do care, even though it didn't feel like that in the moment, and you're in control. Three things that are really important for us to always remember. Lament is a turning to God with complaints to God, but also trust in God and pleas to God for mercy. Faith Church, may we be a people in the midst of calamity and national disaster to cry out to God, lament to Him. Number six, we remember that the godly will suffer for the sake of Christ as part of their calling. Look at verse 17. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, God. We haven't been false to your covenant. We haven't cheated on you. Our hearts haven't turned back to other idols. We have, we have been faithful to you, God. And yet, for your sake, verse 22, would you look at 20 verse, verse 22? That's an underlinable verse. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you recognize that verse? Romans 8, where we were last week. Paul writes to a persecuted church, shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness? Anybody deal with nakedness? I haven't. Not, not as a calamity. Danger? Sword? Have you, have you been threatened? You had your life threatened against you? Have you had everything stripped away from you? Have you had famine totally take all of it from you? He says all those things might happen, and they were happening in the early church. So then what does Paul go? I got to think of something to connect to the Old Testament. Did God ever teach anything about this? Oh yeah, Psalm 44, verse 22. As it is written, for your sake, 
We are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying, just like in Psalm 44 where we learn from our fathers that sometimes it is God's will that for the sake of God and His purposes, His people innocently suffer. It's part of their calling to suffer innocently. The Apostle Peter writes 1 Peter as one of the greatest manual or instructions for sufferers against injustice in a sinful world. Teens, you're studying at Wednesday nights, devour it. 1 Peter 2.21 For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow his steps. Verse, chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Guys, let us, we need to remember that in this world, we will suffer for the sake of Christ. That's part of our calling. Not be surprised by that. Number seven. Number seven, reject self-righteous pride and confess your sins, remembering that God knows your heart. Okay, where do I get this? Reject self-righteous pride. You're in calamity. Things are terrible. A disaster happens. Our first thought might be sometimes, well, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. God, why is this happening to me? There is a time when that can be the case. And I think in this case, the psalmist says, we have been faithful to you. We have sought you with all our heart and it's still happening. And the psalmist says, towards the end of the psalm, he says, he says, you search the hearts, God. You know if I'm lying. I think this should all make us go, and definitely as Americans to go, can I really say I've never cheated on God? Can I say my heart is steadfast towards God? It never cares more about, read, about other things than God. I can't. Over and over again, I can see how my selfishness and my pride and my love of the things of this world has sucked me away towards these things. I have walked day after day in an America that just allows the slaughter of unborn children I can think of so many other things that are just happening and I just laugh at those sitcoms that mock God and mock God's judgment and God's laws all of the time. Oh God, I think it would be very wise of us as we deal with any calamity to get on our knees and we reject, boy, I got it all together. They don't. A pride that's self-righteous and confess our sins, and confess the sins of our nation and our church to God with humility. I'd refer you to Nehemiah chapter 1 as a great example. I'm not going to read that. As Nehemiah confesses the sins of God's people, seeing and remembering their wickedness. Remembering that God knows your motives. God knows what we're thinking in all our intentions And that's scary. Speaking of our motives, which is our heart, that brings us to number eight. Eight, commit to an absolute loyalty to Christ even in the face of suffering or persecution. I get a book almost every month or two 
called Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if any of you get that. It's free. I encourage you to Google Voice of the Martyrs. Subscribe to it and get it. And please read it and use it to pray. It's a reminder that there are martyrs across the world all of the time. Just read an issue on North Korea. There are Christians and there are people that come out and that are being persecuted in North Korea, in Iran, in Palestine, in Asia, and in China, all over the world. We are so blessed. Commit to an absolute, and I thank for so many of them, their testimony of an absolute loyalty to Christ, even in the face of suffering. This passage we see, but we've been faithful to you all the time. We don't find the psalmist going, I've decided I'm going to give up on you, God. God, you've got to redeem me. If you don't redeem me, I'm dead, but I'm not going to give up on you. We have not turned to other gods. Our sword is not our trust, nor is the gods of the nations who have defeated us. You're testing us, but I trust in you. For your sake, we have been led to the slaughter, and for your sake, we will trust. But it's for your sake and your sake alone. You see that loyalty? And that is the calling of all of us as Christ followers. Peter tells a suffering, persecuted church, if you suffer according to God's will, that's going to happen. You're going to suffer according to God's will, including persecution, Entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Keep doing good. If you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor God as holy, or Christ as holy, always being prepared to give a defense of anyone who asks for the hope, for the reason of the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Oh, that God would help us today to go, oh God, I'm so weak. If persecution came, I don't know if I would stand it and be loyal to you. I know I can be so so weak and shallow and flimsy and a wimp. But oh God, please prepare me. Please give me the grace when that comes, but help me right now to learn in the little steps, the little things to show an allegiance and a loyalty to you, whether that be to the worship of, your, worship of you, God, with your people, whether it be to this book and obeying everything that I see in it. Help me to do that now. Help me to grow to know you so that when the, if the dark times come, I'm my heart has been in shape for that. Commit to absolute loyalty to Christ even in the face of suffering and shame. Two more. Number nine. Number nine. Desperately cry out to God for mercy. We find that at the end of the psalm. That's what almost all lament psalms do. They complain to God about what's happening and then they go to God with pleas for mercy and they do it sometimes quite boldly and with some stunning questions, as I've already pointed out. Verse 23, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Are you asleep, God? Are you hiding? Verse 24a, are you, have you forgotten? 24b, I, I believe that some of you have been hurting for your own personal calamities for so long, and it feels like God is hiding, God has forgotten, and God's asleep.
What boldness and desperation. I do not believe that this psalmist is out of bounds. I believe this psalmist is not being disrespectful. This is the way God's people have been given permission to desperately come to God in faith and say, oh God, it feels right now like you're this way. Please, desperately come, rise up, awake. See the language? Redeem us. Come to our aid and help us. Oh, that we would be a people that will do that over and over and over and over again. That's what God's people do. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved in God's good time. Number 10, hold fast to the steadfast love of God in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to that steadfast love. The song ends this way. God, would you rise up? Would you come to our help? Would you redeem us? Would you like take us and purchase us back? Rescue us. Take us from this terrible place. And would you and would you do it not because I've been loyal. He doesn't say for the sake of my steadfast love. I've been good, so God pay me back. God for the sake of your steadfast love. Would you come? It's an appeal to the Old Testament Hebrew word hased. The loyal love of God. God, because you said, you just told me, you said your name is this love. Your name is covenant-keeping, never-ending love that shows mercy and kindness for a thousand generations. You said you'll never let us go. So for the sake of that love, your name's at stake, God. Would you please do it? Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because you promised us to us. Thousands of years, or at least a thousand plus years later, there were some disciples, we call them disciples now, some fishermen in a boat, and a storm went crazy on the Sea of Galilee, and they looked and they saw their master was asleep. Awake! Master, Lord, why are you sleeping? We're perishing. We're perishing. Don't you care? The verses in which he pleased with that language reminds me of those disciples crying out to Jesus when he was in the boat asleep. Oh, he cared. He was in control. In due time, he was going to take care because of his steadfast love and power. This Jesus wouldn't just get calm the storm and make the winds and waves and the sea obey him. This one is the man, Jesus, who is God's steadfast love towards you and towards me. And towards you, if you have never received him yet and can receive him today. It was written, this psalm was written so the church could face persecution and be killed all the day long and be regarded as sheep to be slaughtered and so that these words could go, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, his steadfast love. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, behold this love. This is the love of God. God who loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son. He took his son to be led as a sheep to be slaughtered for you and for me so that we would not face the wrath of, our, of God against us that we rightly deserve for our sins and so that we would be brought into his people so that sometimes in this world we are led to be sheep to be slaughtered. But with God's love always abiding upon us For his sake we are led to be sheep to be slaughtered. The one who was slaughtered for us and who forever, ever has pledged his allegiance and his love to us and he will never, ever let us go. He will never let us go and will work for all our pain to be made for good. He will, please this morning, receive him if you haven't. Turn to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that he is good. He is the only one that prepares a a person or a people for national disaster or calamity and who takes all of those woes and turns them ultimately for our good because his love is steadfast. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you'd please help Faith Church of Linden, help this pastor, help the elders and deacons. God, I pray that we would, we're going to talk about this this afternoon, I pray that we would start a Christian school and train a lot of children in the next, if you give us next decades and more, a lot of children in the things of the Lord. I pray that we would teach them what their fathers taught them, that you are faithful and it's your hand that does and brings and ordains salvation. And I pray that we would learn that and be faithful that when and if national disaster hits, we would never stop boasting in the Lord and praise you and give you thanks. I pray that we would count it as our lot to suffer persecution even in our workplaces because we're just faithful to you, oh God. I pray that it would not be because of our foolishness, our laziness, our silliness, or our ungodliness, but we would have clean consciences. God, I pray that we would learn to trust this God so much that our loyalty would come from having tasted and seen how good you are. Oh God, please prepare us. Help us to just love you with all our heart. God, I pray now that as we finish this service, we would make this time a song We'd make this final song a song of allegiance, of trust. In Jesus' name, amen.